it has to be as honest as everything else. And it's, I love you. We need to talk about this. It's the business side. I don't want this, the elephant in the room. And because we love each other, we can talk about everything. And now we're going to talk about money. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special Valentine's Day episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Zauk, and today we explore the very important topic of love and money with the legendary Neil Godfrey. Money is commonly cited as the number one cause of divorce, and even when it is not the main cause, it can exacerbate other problems such as trust, communication, and respect. Neil and I get pretty real in today's episode talking about why couples shouldn't save that money conversation for marriage, how to actually have that conversation, advice on how to split your finances in single and dual income couples, how to file taxes if one person is an entrepreneur, and of course a lot about prenups. And yes, I'm biting my lip trying not to make that Kanye reference. Neil joins us for her second appearance on the show following her outstanding episode on financial literacy. I've linked that episode in the description. A quick background, she was the first female vice president at Chase Manhattan Bank, is a multi-time New York Times bestseller, an executive in residence at Columbia Business School, and was a frequent collaborator with Oprah. I'd also like to thank Julie Verhage Greenberg of FinTech Today for sharing some of her insights in preparation for this show. She recently polled the FinTech Today community on this topic after her own marriage. Congratulations, by the way. I've included her findings at the end of the episode, as well as in the description. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody, and let's get started. All right, Neil, welcome back to the Wharton FinTech Podcast, one of our few repeating guests. It is wonderful, wonderful to have you back. How are you doing? I'm great, Ryan. It's great to be here. Thank you. I have to say last episode was a huge success. Um, I will post it in the episode description for those that missed it. It is one of the few episodes that I was able to get my family to listen to since it was a little less fintechy, a little bit more life advice and financial literacy, easy to grasp, and one of my favorites that I've ever done. Well, you have to let me know if they listen to this one. <laughs> so yes, today we're tackling mildly similar, but I think much, much more important topic and very relevant for our listeners. As you know, this is Friday, and on Sunday, it will be Valentine's Day, the holiday of love and relationships. So today, our topic is love and money. And this is something that Neil has covered with Oprah and spent a lot of time thinking about in her time. So there are some studies out there, Neil, that claim that money is the number one cause of divorce or relationship problems. And it certainly seems that many other issues that can happen in relationships, such as lack of trust, lack of communication, selfishness, can all be exacerbated by money. So let's just kind of start off, you know, with the problem. Why is it that couples are struggling with money? What are some common struggles that you see arising in couples and money? Well, the first thing, Ryan, is is that we have to deal with money issues every single day of our lives. We don't deal with sex every day. Well, it's Valentine's Day, notwithstanding that. We don't have to deal with sex. We don't have to deal with nuclear war. We don't have to deal with all those other major issues. But we do have to deal with money every single day of our lives. And it's always in our face. It's in our face emotionally, because a lot of people feel that money is life's report card. It's 
in our face because you may not have what you need. You may be overextending you. It's all that stuff. And even if you don't pay anything for the day, your rent is ticking, your mortgage is ticking, your credit cards are ticking, your electric bill is ticking. So it's always there. So it's sort of that big elephant in the room and we don't address it. We don't deal with it. And why do you think that is? I mean, I completely agree. It's really the one thing that's such a constant all of our lives. I never really talk about it with my girlfriend. It's kind of this like tiptoe around dance. I don't talk about it with my friends, even with my family. Now that I'm older, it's something that we talk about a little bit less and less. Okay. Think about that. Here's going to be one of the major issues that will be facing your relationship. And we don't talk about it. It's just nuts. You were talking about Oprah before. Well, when I was doing Oprah and worked with her for four and a half years on air, when she had, you know, her big show on network, it was easier for her to find couples who wanted to talk about their personal sexual relationships than it was to find people to talk about their money issues in their relationship. And they would say to the producers, no, 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 that's personal. And my thing was, wait a minute, you're willing to take your clothes off in front of somebody. That's not personal. But your credit score is personal. I mean, come on, guys. And Ryan, this goes way back in our DNA. So money has always been a taboo in our country. And we've unfortunately passed this ridiculousness on generation after generation. You've heard things like polite people don't talk about money. Don't ask what the bill costs. Do you know if you're at a diner with your kids, your parents are going to pick up the bill and like hide it from everyone at the restaurant? Well, that's a learning moment for the kids. Have you ever seen teenagers try to figure out how to do a tip? Think about that. It's a mess. It's a mess. It's a train wreck. So we carry this baggage with us. and. Ryan, the joke of it is that over 70% of us couple with people who have a different financial personality than we have. So you set yourself up for the big fights. 70% of people have a financial. So so you said financial was at profile. So you mean just in terms of income and, you know, wealth versus debt or more behavior? That's really good. That's a, a really good distinction. No, behavior in terms of being a saver or a spender. and. Because we carry that baggage in from our parents, did your parents fight about money? Was it a power struggle within the family? What were those money dynamics? We tend to feel that the way we handle money behaviorally is right. So if I'm a saver, that's right. And what you're spending money on is stupid. Yeah, it's such a great point because you look at so many different things when you're first dating somebody for compatibility. Are they career-driven? Are they nice? Are they attractive? Are they fun? Do we have shared interests? But you never really, like, I feel like the financial reveal is almost this opening of the kimono that sometimes doesn't happen for six months, a year, two, three years, or until you're even married. So Until you're married. Yeah. And especially then. So why are couples nervous to share this? And what advice would you have for people trying to start this conversation? When should they have the conversation? Well, if you're out for a romantic date on Valentine's Day, I'm not suggesting that that's when you pop. You know, you pop, listen, I love you. This is our special day. And by the way, what's your credit score? Just checking. You know, I'm not suggesting that that's what you have to do. I'm suggesting that 
you look at money as the business part of your relationship, that you sit down and you talk about it and you talk about the transparency of being able to come clean. Let me talk about what I have. Let me talk about my debt. Let me talk about my obligations. Let me talk about how I look at money so that we, moving forward, can start to design a life together. But even when you're dating, dating, before you're popping the question, you need to start talking about it. How much do you earn? Why should that be the big secret in the world? Well, who cares? I don't judge myself by what I earn. You're going to judge somebody else? It's not life's reward card for me. And if it is for the other person, then it's probably time to find that out. Because in most instances, you don't want someone confusing self-worth with net worth. Yeah, that's a great point. Money is a topic that I think can just serve as a canary in the coal mine early on to uncover different feelings about money and life and worth. There are usually so many preconceived notions about how others feel, and these need to be unearthed. And so going to life's report card, you claim not to view money as that, but let's face it, most people and likely most listeners of this podcast kind of do. So let's talk about the example of maybe one high earner, you know, partnered with one low earner, or maybe even just a single income household. There's an income disparity, and when you add misaligned interests, it gets dicey. How should couples approach this problem? Let's unpack that. First of all, let's talk about transparency. And I think that, you know, if you're comfortable enough and your listeners are, start the conversation. Let's talk about what we each earn and what that means. And by the way, if you're, you know, a concert violinist and the other person is, you know, a Wharton graduate who's working in an investment bank, you're going to earn different salaries. It does not mean that there is more worth because you're earning seven figures versus the violinist who's not. So I think you've got to talk about that and what their careers mean to them and what the money means. That's number one. So you get, you're starting to pull the curtain back, Ryan. You're starting to get into what does that all mean? And that's transparency. And lay it out on the table. This is what I make. These are the taxes I pay. This is what the government takes out. I've got my 401k. I've got my blah, 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 blah. These are my savings. These are my investments. This is where I'm at. And ask the same of the person. And and if that other person says, "Mm, I'm not ready for that. Like, really? What are you you setting us up for here? Because it's not going to get easier. Especially, like you said, when maybe one person is going to be staying home with the kids. Like, Whoa, because then the power dynamics really start. Now, going off that point, something that I still remember this example so vividly from work, because I was a 22-year-old analyst at my firm. I had never thought about how my parents spend their money, how they budgeted, how any of that worked. And in fact, I should probably ask them because I think they did a good job and never had fights about it, at least in front of me. I had one director, this topic came up, and the director said his wife and he split a bottle of wine once a year, usually sometime in the new year, figure out what all of their shared expenses are, rent, tuition for the kids, food, whatever, and each take a big chunk of their salary and put it in one bank account and withdraw from that for common purchases. And then everything else they earn, totally on their own, no visibility. And another director shot up out of nowhere, a quiet guy, and said, what? 
I've never heard of that in my life. My wife and I share everything. We are all one account. We don't do anything separately. How could you possibly do that and build trust? Is there a preferred way or method that you've seen they can do? Yes. And it's a great question, Ryan. My recommendation is that number one, you're totally transparent, but that there are household accounts that you share together. And I recommend a pro rata put in to that. So if you know the violinist is earning less than the investment banker, then on a pro rata basis, he's going to put in more. And there are no hard feelings, and that's what it is. We all need some of our own spending money. I don't want to go back to somebody and say, I need more money. If I want to buy somebody a special gift, I don't want to have to go to you to say, well, I was planning on a surprise for your birthday, but I have to ask you for the money. Okay. It sets up a parent-child relationship. I want some of that financial independence. Not talking enough to go buy the yacht and not tell you. I'm not saying that. I'm talking on a macro basis. You brought up a really good issue about when one of the partners may no longer be earning because they're raising the family. If you've been working, and we know it's typically the female that does this, if you've been working and if you've had a career and if you've been out there and then all of a sudden you're home and you have to go to your husband for an allowance, trust me, it's going to be really tough. So, yeah, one of the ways I get about around that is there has to be a guilt-free account that he also agrees to set up for her. It's not going to be scrutinized. The other thing on that is that you should each month switch off who's handling. You don't have to pay the bills. Neither one of you have to. You could have a bookkeeper if you want it, but you have to know what's going on. You have to be on top of the household budget. You also need to be up on deciding the goals and monitoring your financial advisors, or if you're doing it yourself off your phone, what is that? You need to really set financial goals. You really need, and then all of a sudden, a lot of other issues come out, Ryan. Do you want kids? Do you not? How many do you want? How do we think that we're going to deal with that? Now, all those things have a monetary price tag. Do we want to travel? Do we want a house? Do we want to rent? Do we want a car? Do we want all that stuff? And then from that, you need to build a budget that's going to get you guys there, you know, and cut down as it goes. But moving forward, you both have to be involved in all the decisions. Absolutely. I feel like so many relationships just take these extremes where it's zero and 100 or five and 95 with so much responsibility. And then I've, you know, tragically seen issues where one partner passes away or there's a split and the other partner is left completely clueless with how to manage what's going on. Ryan, you are so right. Now, in my parents' generation, the male would say to the woman, don't worry, you're taken care of. Does that mean anything to you, Ryan? Does that mean (laughs) anything? No. I mean, right. My grandmother had never written a freaking check. I mean, what are you talking about? And grandpa died. You have to sit down and together design the portfolio. You also have to decide upon your risk tolerance. You may be married to someone who's really conservative and doesn't want to bet the ranch. And so it's a negotiation. You may say, hey, look, 
these are things we want. These are goals we have. You know, we want to retire. We want to get the kids to college. We want to vacation. We want a home, blah, blah, blah. This is the savings we're going to have to do to get there. But I will agree to 20% of the portfolio being a risk portfolio where you can, you know, go buy Bitcoin, fine, go do what you want to do, but not more than that, because then it's almost like dealing with a day trader gambler in the family. And it almost, you know, it's so easy to trade on your phone. This is fun. Bing, 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 bing. You now have bet the ranch, but each one of you better be monitoring that and not in a gotcha way, in a way that we're building a life together and make a decision before it comes in. If there is a bonus, hey, it goes toward blah, 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 blah. The other thing that young people don't do, they don't buy insurance. (laughs) We found that out during September 11th when we had major financial firms being wiped out Cantor Fitzgerald wiped out. They had an average of like $50,000 per broker of insurance. What are you doing? So financial planning, financial transparency, it's going to help everybody sleep at night and watch your words with the, don't tell your father about this, but I bought whatever. What if you just conveyed to your child? It's okay to be deceptive. Okay, well, that's a good lesson to learn. Don't tell your mother. And also, Ryan, when there's a split up and a divorce, now all of a sudden, game on. Who's going to outspend the other to be cooler than the other one? So you got to do time out. Money is the business side of your life. Remove the emotion because if you keep the emotion in it, You'll end up with 85% divorce rate up around money issues. You'll be right there in the statistical pool. Yeah, I love that insight. And especially that note on divorce. I saw so much of that kind of spending battle happen in friends, families growing up. It's definitely a weird one. Now, I'm glad you brought up divorce because it brings us to a crucial, crucial topic, the prenuptial agreement. We want prenup. We want prenup. There's the Kanye reference. There was actually also an article on the Wall Street Journal about prenups that I'll link in the description and send to you because it was just so fascinating talking about stipulations of the new age prenup. Did you see it? No, send it to me. Oh, it was great. And it's prenups have started including provisions around student debt, which makes a lot of sense because who doesn't have student debt these days? Social media use and what can be posted in the event of a divorce and any incriminating or angry messages, as well as pets recovery of student debt payments. Let's say, you know, the husband had paid off the wife's student debt or vice versa. In the event of a divorce, that money could be clawed back. And then even embryo ownership. So prenups are really starting to take a lot of turns. And I'm what would happen? To me, I'm loving that. Yeah, I it was own, fascinating. So I, I own my eggs. Yeah. So for our listeners who might not be aware, can we just start with the basics? What is a prenuptial agreement and what are the usual terms that are put in place? Well, a prenup is actually a business arrangement before there is a marriage. Typically, it is done where there is a big disparity through the wealth of the two people. If you're young, you're both poor, you're just out of college, you both have debt, you actually are worth nothing, 
you don't necessarily need a prenup. I mean, if you want to do this about who owns the eggs, that's fine. But beyond that, if you're pretty much on equal footing, you don't need it. If there are assets, either one or both have assets, typically it makes sense to have a prenup. Why? Because the money is coming in from different places, from your parents, from trust funds, from all this other stuff, or there's a huge disparity that one of you has put in a tremendous amount and the other one has not. It also deals with objects. Do you really want to see your ex's new wife walking around with a brooch that has been in the family for the last 500 years? I'm just saying probably not. So it's in essence, I know I hate to say it like this, but it's kind of talking about the divorce settlement before so you can get this over with. The easiest way to bring this up if there is a huge disparity is actually, now this is duplicitous, but I'll share it with you, Ryan. You've been doing, I love you, I trust you, I love you, I trust you, I love you, I trust you. I would blame it on the parents. Seriously, I would say my parents really want this. And it's only really appropriate because it's their money. I'm talking about a young marriage. When you're older, you know, you've sort of been there, done that. You know, you understand that's, that's what's going to happen. And typically the person with the money is the one who writes the prenup and delivers it to the person who doesn't. Again, if there's money in both sides, then it's kind of this equal, by the way, it goes to my kids. No, it goes to your kids. No, this is, we come together. You'll be taken care of. But so it's a legal agreement that is signed before the marriage to get rid of all that ugly conversation. Now, when there's not a prenup, In the olden days, typically women's standard of living would go down 23% in a divorce and a man's standard of living would go up 10% because she was home taking care of kids, not earning a living, out of the workforce, blah, 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 blah. And today there is less disparity because 70% of all women work outside the home that you need two incomes in most instances to have a family be economically viable. But it's just, it's that protection and you don't have to worry about it. And since there's such a high level of divorce, it has to be, I love you, but we really need to do this. Right. So let's say unfamiliar with the process, you do not have a prenup in place and there's a divorce. You said you have to figure it all out. Is there any sort of standard I remember hearing that it's just everything is split like 50-50 down the middle. Is that the legal precedent? No, it doesn't work like that. It depends upon what state you live in. The state decides. So there are some states that are equitable distribution. There are some states that are going to go back and say, this asset predated the marriage. Therefore, it can be proven that that asset was hers before she came in. It's way more complicated than that. And then you get into splitting things like everything that came in during the marriage, the 401ks being split, the pensions being split. It's just like, oh my God, you both need a lawyer. Do not do the, oh, don't worry. We're still going to remain friends. We'll have the same lawyer. Nope. Conflict of interest. You can also go to a mediator, an arbitrator, and set it up that way, which is cheaper. You can go online and get templates to figure out. 
I want to look at the new, new with the journal. But, you know, when you're talking about property, i.e. eggs, you know, wow, whatever. Again, insurance. Now with insurance, again, don't worry, you're taken care of. You have to be the owner of the policy and the beneficiary because the owner of the policy, as you know, Ryan, can change the beneficiary. So you've heard a thousand times, well, I'm taking you off the life insurance policy. Well, you just, you know what? Don't go through that. If you own the policy, the premiums are paid, you are the beneficiary. You keep yourself on it. Don't do any of that. Can you, some logistical follow-ups, you just mentioned like 401k. What are some accounts that you can open together? Can you open a brokerage account together? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can open up a brokerage account. And then in those cases, again, you would have to prove that you were both putting it in and, mm. and again, hope that you're in an equitable distribution state where it's split 50-50. Mm-hmm. It's very hard with a lot of, of situations because if one member of the family isn't working and the other's donating, that's where some of the fights can come in. Well, really, well, there's a monetization of my volunteer work that I volunteered to raise the family. It's a great but what the court might put on as what that was in terms of that worth may not be the worth if you were out in the marketplace earning. Not to mention that when you get back in the market, you're worth a whole lot less because you've been out of the market for 10 years. Go try to get a job to convince somebody in a financial firm, let's say that, oh yeah, I'm up to date with everything that's going on. No, you're not. (laughs) Changing diapers doesn't do that for you. A court will assign that rate basically, like some sort of hourly wage or yearly wage basically that they you were eligible for? Yeah, I've seen that. And it's always you're behind the eight ball. And then the biggest thing, and then, you know, it's probably the last thing that we'll talk about, the house has to be a huge issue in every divorce, right? The biggest asset, the most expensive asset or debt that you have. How does a mortgage play out usually in these situations? Can you apply for a mortgage together or is it one person and how is that structured? Well, when you're initially getting it, the answer is yes, you apply together and you make sure that you're on the mortgage and you're on the deed. So it means that you have a witness that you're an asset, you're on that holder, and you're also on the mortgage. So you want to be on both, even if, let's say, you're not contributing to the payment of that. But the answer is yes. You know, you that's covered in the prenup, that it may be things like the raising parent, the one who's been raising a kid, gets to stay in the house for blah, 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 years, you know, and or the asset will be sold sooner. The money is split. The money is a third, two thirds, all all the above. So it's open in a prenup as to how you want to do that. But it really helps you guys think all those things through so that there's not the big surprise, the big reveal after. And it could be, you know, something like a surprise that, you know, someone's cheating on someone else or, you know, something like that so that all of a sudden everything blows up. And for you to have a little bit of knowledge as to what is going to happen is going to lower some of that tension because you're dealing with a huge emotional, huge emotional situation. What you want to do is lower the noise on the business side if you can. That's what a prenup does. What about tax filing? Any considerations there depending on people's jobs? Are you 
filing joint taxes, married or separate. If one of you is a business owner and is an entrepreneur, and all of a sudden there are huge tax liabilities, guess what? If you've been filing joint and just, yeah, signing those taxes, you unsuspectingly could be liable for your partner's boo-boos. In their own business life, what do you mean? Yeah. If you owe that you and your partner got married, you're an entrepreneur, you have a business, you've been filing taxes together and paying jointly, and all of a sudden, there's a huge loss in your business. You walk away, let's say, declare bankruptcy, do whatever. She could be stuck with that tax liability. The IRS will go after her. So you better be careful on that business joint tax return. That's Mm -hmm. due. You can file married separately. Mm -hmm. You don't have to file married joint. Now in the short run, it may be more advantageous because you may get more deductions. But if one of you is out there as an entrepreneur and has a business and there could be a tax liability that's going to go through your personal statement, oopsie. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. I think in closing, Neil, first off, this has been fantastic. And I'm probably going to listen to this episode about 10 times to make sure I absorbed everything. This well, is fantastic. I don't know if your family's going to listen to it. That's all I care about. <laughs> oh, they're yeah. absolutely. This is even better than the last one. This will be sent out to my cousins who are all getting married or just married, different family members all over the world. Absolutely. So I think just in closing, just final advice for couples getting ready to take the plunge and they just need to start talking about it. What does that conversation look like? What should be said? It has to be as honest as everything else. And it's, I love you. We need to talk about this. It's the business side. I don't want this, the elephant in the room. And because we love each other, we can talk about everything. And now we're going to talk about money. And that's it. Yeah. That's perfect. Neil, thank you again for coming on the Wharton FinTech podcast. You did not disappoint. I'm very glad that we had you on. And it looks like we might have to set you up for round three, given how well this has gone. So thank you again for coming on, Neil. We appreciate it. And have a happy Valentine's Day. Thanks, Ryan. What a great episode. Neil really just never disappoints. So in the intro, I mentioned Julie of FinTech Today surveyed her community for money relationship advice. Here were their top 10 takeaways, and it almost all aligns with Neil. One, the FinTech Today community was almost unanimous on keeping some money separate. Two, never commingle trusts or inheritance. Three, if one of you already owns a home, keep it separate. Four, find a way to analyze all of your accounts for a full financial picture. I'll get to that more in a second. Five, have a joint card but also separate credit and debit cards to maximize rewards. Six, consolidate memberships and subscriptions. Seven, get life insurance and lock in the low rate now. Eight, discuss all major financial purchases with each other. Nine, take a quiz to figure out your financial personalities and where they do and do not align. And 10, couples counseling is a great overlooked resource for these types of issues. Now, all of you entrepreneurial listeners out there must be smelling a fintech market opportunity. 
There definitely is, since no single company has taken full advantage and become a leader here. But here's a list of some quick players I dug up. There's the classic account aggregators and budgeters such as Personal Capital, Mint, Stride, and Copilot. Then there's companies like SoFi that have started offering joint account capability. Then there's the more targeted peer couples apps such as Honeydew, HoneyFi, and Zeta from the team at Ask Zeta, which blogs about money relationships. I'll be breaking down this episode in the Medium article, so feel free to check it out for free resources. Thank you everyone for listening to this slightly less traditional episode, and have a happy Valentine's Day weekend. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review. And if you're looking for more fintech content, subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton Fintech. There you will find articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I've linked our accounts in the episode description. I would also like to thank our editor, Rafael Ostria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Ryan Zauk.